Thanks for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Baggage, Finding Freedom from the Weight We Carry. We're addressing some heavy things like depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, and guilt in order to learn God's heart for those who hurt. Our prayer is that these sermons would help you and encourage you. Please feel free to reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Enjoy. Good morning, Table Church. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today, and I'm so sad that I'm not, uh, well, here, where you are, in person. I did test positive for COVID this week, and Sunday, today, falls within uh, my quarantine period, so I'm unable to be there in person, obviously, but I'm thankful for technology and the fact that it affords us uh, the chance to at least have this, and so hopefully this will work okay. Um, And don't worry, I am with you in spirit as well as online. Um, I was starting to feel like the last kid standing in dodgeball because I hadn't gotten COVID yet, but sadly my streak has ended. And so we're going to use this video today and hopefully it'll work okay. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is really kind of right in the middle of your Bible and uh, it's right after Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible with you today, then go ahead and raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, I encourage you just to keep the one that we're giving you today. We just want you to have a copy of the scripture. So we're going to be just looking at the first few verses of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And we're going to jump around a bit, but I encourage you, again, to have your Bibles open. We're going to, we're going to be digging into the text. We might even mark up our Bibles a little bit today. And so have your pens or your pencils handy as we dig in. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors, at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. So we're starting a new sermon series today called Baggage. Uh, And I want to talk about the emotional junk that many of us, if not most of us, carry around. In fact, if we get through this series and you're able to say that none of these topics applied to you, then trust me, you're in the lucky few. In this series, we're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about guilt, anxiety, addiction. Today, we're talking about sadness. Whenever we discuss emotional challenges, I want to make it, it's always important to be very clear that I'm not a counselor and I'm not going to try to be a counselor. I'm not a professional therapist. But you know, the the counselors that I've met often will talk about the importance of holistic approaches to healing. That means that there's not just one silver bullet that fixes uh, these matters that we're going to talk about in this series. It requires that kind of all parts of our lives come into alignment. Often there's a physical component to it. Being healthy, eating well, getting exercise. Obviously, there's an emotional component, and clearly, I believe there's a spiritual component as well. And so we're not going to try to be counselors. We're going to be pastors. We're going to unpack biblical and spiritual truths that speak to the baggage that we often carry. And so that's why I also want to urge anyone here who suffers from any of the topics in a severe kind of way that we're going to address today to find the appropriate professional help that you might need. My family has benefited greatly from counseling and psychiatry. And so if you need help, please reach out. I also want to clarify today how I'm using the word sadness. 
When I first wrote the sermon, um, I was using the word depression. Uh, but as I preached it to the staff and got feedback from them, it became clear, look, maybe there's a range of meaning about depression, but we want to make sure that what we're not trying to address is clinical depression because that's a, a mood disorder that requires professional help. And so in order to be clear about things, uh, I'm just using the word sadness today. Now, Pastor Megan introduced me to a writer named Susan Cain, and her book, Bittersweet, articulates wonderfully what I'm trying to address in this sermon. She says about her book, she says, This book is about the melancholic direction, which I call a bittersweet, a tendency to states of longing, poignancy, and sorrow, an acute awareness of passing time. She uses the phrase melancholic direction, and I think that sums up what I'm talking about in this sermon. Some of us just have this poignant sadness that we carry with us. Sometimes it's seasonal. Maybe you're actually grieving. Maybe you just lost a loved one. Or, you know, in a sense, we could say we're all in this space right now because of just the cultural traumas that we've experienced together globally and in this country. Now, it's clear that people have experienced this for thousands of years. Just look at the opening verses of Ecclesiastes that we just heard. Now, I'm going to refer to the writer of Ecclesiastes with the Hebrew word kohelet. It simply means teacher. And Kohelet is how most Bible scholars refer to the writer of Ecclesiastes, and so we're just going to go with that today for simplicity. And what we find is that Kohelet is not interested in contrived optimism or fake happiness. He's speaking a language that many people can resonate with. Whereas some of us have the ability to simply focus on the positive things in life, sadness is often keenly aware of life's absurdities. Some of us are simply not able to just tune those things out. Neither was Kohelet. Now this is important because when life is hard, we often don't need answers. We need understanding. That's why one person who struggles with depression actually said when reading Ecclesiastes that it's like slipping into a warm bath. It's like finding someone who finally gets you. We don't have time to read the whole book today, but Kohelet will go on to give this incisive analysis of, of the injustices that he sees in the world. He's seen that you toil all your life only to see all that you've done be given away to another. He's seen the tears of the oppressed with nobody to comfort them. He's seen how earthly comforts fail to satisfy the heart. On and on and on he goes. Now there are two Hebrew words that we need to learn today. And they're words that Kohelet uses often. The first word is the word Hevel. Hevel. Now, Hevel is a very tough word to translate. In different translations, English translations of Ecclesiastes, you'll see perhaps the word meaningless. That's what we heard today in our passage, or in our translation. Some translations use the word vanity, or pointless, or absurd, vapor. Some say nonsense. Uh, those are just some of the other ways that Havel has been translated. Now, as I've kind of researched this word and, and read a few articles about it, uh, it seems to me that the best translation for Havel is the word absurd. And so here's what I would like you to do. Grab your pen or your pencil. And in, in uh, verse 2 of chapter 1, what we just read, will you underline or circle one of those instances of whatever you have in your translation? In the NIV, it says meaningless. Others, it might say vapor or pointless. Maybe your translation says absurd. I don't know. But if it doesn't say absurd, will you underline or circle the word and just write the word absurd in the margin next to it so that when you go back and read it, 
you'll remember this moment and be able to uh, translate that word in a way uh, in, in perhaps a, a different and more helpful way. The reason I like absurd over something like meaningless is because throughout the book, Kohelet is not simply saying that things in life lack meaning. He's not, he's not just saying that this stuff that he sees is meaningless. He's saying something more than that. He's saying that the sad things, the awful things that he sees around him, they don't just lack meaning, they actually violate meaning. They're, they're not just meaningless, they're like the, the opposite of meaning. They are absurd, he says. For example, in chapter 8, he says, There is something else, Havel, that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is Havel, or absurd. We encounter the word nearly 40 times in Ecclesiastes. Over and over again, he's calling out the absurdity of life that he sees around him. For Kohelet, things aren't just unfair. They're just head over heels wrong. As we've, as we've watched the news and just seen all these senseless murders lately, I think that we can understand we need a stronger word to describe what we're seeing than just meaningless. It's not just that things lack meaning, it's that this is deeply wrong. And that's what he's trying to get at. It's Havel. And so Kohelet will point these things out over and over again throughout the book. However, there's more to Ecclesiastes than simply pointing to all of life's absurdities. And that brings us to the second Hebrew word we need to learn. And that's the word Natan. Natan. This word also occurs many times throughout Ecclesiastes and it forms a major theme just like Havel does. However, this word is not difficult to translate. It's simply the word for to give. Now, if you or anyone you know is named Nathan, you can tell them that you learned today at church where their name comes from. Natan simply means to give or gift. And throughout the text, the one who is giving is usually God. In fact, if you look at chapter 5, verse 19, flip over to chapter 5, verse 19 with me for a second. Here's what it says. It says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God, it says. I want to encourage you to underline or circle that word gift in your text. In the margin, just write the word natan, N-A-T-A-N. This is another theme throughout Ecclesiastes that I think we need to read alongside of the theme of Havel. Chapter 11, Kohelet says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. You know, the word for sweet only occurs three times in the entire Bible. And you wouldn't expect one of those times to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And yet there it is. He's pausing to recognize the fact that there is a sweetness to life, that even all of the Havel that he's described can never take away. He's describing these precious gifts from God. Listen, in pain, we often look up to the skies in search of God, but Kohala is telling us to look down and notice God's simple gifts right in front of us. Life can be absurd, he says, but there's something sweet about sunshine. There's something wonderful about a good meal with friends. There's something profound about the love of a spouse. 
In a world that can feel like this, this cosmic black hole, God has inserted little pinpricks of light, and these are precious gifts from him, he's telling us. What a gift it is, he says, to enjoy the food that you grew from the ground. To enjoy your youth, to love your spouse, to take pride in your work, to, to feel the sun on your face. These are precious gifts, and their sweetness are not destroyed by the Havel, the absurdities that we see around us. In fact, the contrast sometimes makes, makes them shine even brighter. And so we have these two themes in Ecclesiastes that kind of seem at odds with one another. You have all the absurdities in life, but then you also have these precious gifts that God just kind of gives to us. And here's what all of this says to me. First, it says that these two things are not mutually exclusive. But the second thing it says is that it is possible to be sad and yet be fulfilled. I'll say that one more time because it's really important. In fact, maybe this is the point of my message today. You can be sad, but still fulfilled. What I mean is that you can be honest about the difficult things in life and still live a life of purpose and meaning. In fact, I think we could argue that only by being honest can we find true, deep meaning in life. Not by sweeping hard things under the rug. It seems to me we live in an age where, where we see that any negative feeling is something that we either can't or shouldn't have to cope with. We have endless strategies for escaping negative feelings. There are worse things than being sad. In fact, a few thousand years after Kohelet, another philosopher named Zoran Kierkegaard would write about his experience with sadness too. In fact, I think that he would use the term depression. He wrote this, he said, I am in the profoundest sense an unhappy individual, he said. And Kierkegaard wrote that there's a difference between sadness and despair. For him, sadness is an emotional thing, but despair is a spiritual thing. And despair is much worse, he said. The person in despair is the person who is not at home with themselves. It is the person who cannot sit quietly with themselves. They must always be somebody that they're not. Gordon Marino wrote that Kierkegaard defines three different selves that we all have within us. And I want to just unpack these three selves because I actually think it's really profound and helpful for our point today. The first self is, is that restless part of us that is always straining to become someone else. So it's that part of you that's pushing to become the doctor or the lawyer or the graduate or to get that promotion. It's that part of you that's constantly thinking, once I get to that point, then I'll finally have arrived. That's the first self. The second self is the person that the first self actually wants to become. This is the doctor, the lawyer, the person who has received the accolades, who has uh, achieved the thing that the first self wanted. This is the person who has realized their dreams. That's the second self. And then there's the third self. The third self is the real you. It is the person who you are when all of the activity and all of those ambitions have been stripped away and all that's left is the naked self before God. That's the third self. The third self has nothing to do with your accomplishments or status. It's simply the unremarkable part of you, the part of you that you try to ignore, to run from, to hide, to dress up, to cover up. It's your true self buried beneath the hustle and bustle of your life. Now, Kierkegaard taught that the person in despair is the person who has forsaken their third self. 
And so they're not at home with themselves. They can't sit quietly with who they really are. They're constantly trying to, to achieve the second self or they're living out the things, their dreams that they've put before themselves. They rely on external things to define them and therefore can never really be at rest. That is the person in despair, he says. Now here's what's important. Sometimes sadness can, in a strange way, actually help us confront despair. Sometimes sadness can actually humble us, connect us to ourselves in a way that the person who has triumphantly achieved all of their hopes and dreams never really appreciates. Kierkegaard said this kind of interesting line. He said, happiness is despair's greatest hiding place. What he means is that when we have it all, when we've accomplished all of our hopes and dreams, and when we're on top of the world, we can start to grow proud. We can start to think that we deserve all that we have, that we are the ones who actually made it all happen, and that we are the ones who should be congratulated. And so we slowly disassociate ourselves from our third self, our true self, as we identify now more with our accomplishments instead of who we really are. That's how despair can hide within happiness and success. And that, Kierkegaard says, is sickness worse than sadness. That is to live a life out of touch with your true self. So who is your true self? It's not your success. It's not your bank account. It's not your future hopes and dreams. It's not your internal feelings or your impulses. Your true self is who you are before God. That's your dearly loved child made in his image. And you don't need any more than that. The sad person is often free of those illusions about themselves that the person who has it all might still have. In this way, sadness can actually help us live a life that is more connected to ourselves and to God. Now, recent science has actually validated Kierkegaard in this. Brain scans have shown us that people whose families have a history of depression often have a thinning of the part of the brain called the right cortex. Um, but research has shown that people who engage with spiritual practices like prayer uh, demonstrate a thickening of the right cortex. And not only that, but people who are at high risk for depression actually demonstrate greater improvement than those who are not. Drew Hansen put it like this. He said, the change is not merely possible among the high risk. The effect is actually greatest among them suggesting that these brains are more sensitive to the impact of spirituality. A sensitivity to depression is another way of saying a sensitivity to spirituality. It's just another way of saying that your sadness, it may actually be an opportunity to connect with God in ways that are more honest and real than you would otherwise. Look, sadness can be an opportunity to be honest about ourselves and therefore honest about our need for God. I believe that that is what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us. Now, it's interesting. There's kind of this crescendo throughout Ecclesiastes as the gifts that he mentions become more and more significant. But he's always quick to tell us that these gifts are always from God. He says, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And this realization that God gives these precious gifts leads Kohelet to think less of himself and to think more about God. It's almost like we're watching a transformation happen in Kohala himself as we progress through the text. In fact, look at this. We're going to do a little, a little analysis of Ecclesiastes real quick. In the first two chapters of the book, Kohala mentions himself a staggering 42 times. 
He talks about how he ruled over Israel, how he was so wise. He saw everything under the sun. In the first two chapters, he says the word I over and over and over and over again. It's almost like he's telling us of a time in the past when he was always chasing after that second self. But notice this interesting pattern. The third and fourth chapters of the book, he only brings himself up 14 times. Chapters 5 and 6, he only brings himself up 4 times. And chapters 7 and 8, he goes back and reiterates some stuff from earlier, and so he's back up to 21 times. Chapters 9 and 10, he only mentions himself 6 times. In the final two chapters of the book, Kohelet brings himself up zero times. It's as though Kohelet slowly disappears from the book as God increases. As a result, Kohelet's gaze has shifted more and more upward toward God. Ecclesiastes ends with this urgent command. It says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. There has been a change in Kohelet by the end. His honesty about what he saw and how he felt meant that he was honest about the absurd things in life, but it also meant he was honest about the good things too. It meant that he was keenly aware of God's good gifts, and these gifts pulled him ultimately in the end toward God. This is crucial because look, this transformation that we see happen in Kohelet, it it happens not in spite of his sadness. It happens because of his sadness. That is what allows him to, to be keenly aware of the absurdities, the Hevel, but also the Natan, the gifts, all around him. It is his sadness that helps him see the absurd things, but also what humbles him and draws him away from himself to help him see the simple gifts that God gives. Here's what I hope you've heard today. We live in a world where we are trained to run from all negative feelings. We distract ourselves, we put on masks, we create false selves in order to avoid them if we can. But what if in our desperate attempt to numb ourselves, we lose something even greater? What if we lose the ability to be honest about who we really are and therefore honest about who God is and how much we need him? Listen, sadness can open the door to connect with God. Because when things are going great, we put up a buffer between ourselves and God. We act like we don't need him or that we did it all on our own. But sadness often comes with a brutal honesty, which is why it can in a way help us see our need for God and help us know who we really are. The key is to be honest, not only about the bad stuff, but also the good stuff. Because God has given us the ultimate gift. In fact, in the New Testament, the word gift, just like in Ecclesiastes with Natan, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word gift comes up an awful lot. It's the Greek word charis. And you know what that translates in the English? It simply translates to the word grace. Grace is simply the word gift. Ephesians 1, 7-9 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, here gift that he lavished on us. So here's my advice for you today. Be honest about the good stuff too. Be honest about the gifts that God gives you. Kohelet saw God's gifts in the simple things in life. But it doesn't stop there. God's gifts extend all the way to the point where God gave us himself because he believes he knows that you're worth it. And so as we wind up, as we wind down today, as we kind of close this sermon, um, we have some gifts that we would like to give you. In fact, we have little gift boxes that are going to be down front. 
And inside, there's you're just going to find a, a promise of God, a scripture passage. And my prayer is that for at least somebody in the room today, um, when you open it and when you look at the passage, it would be something that you need. It would be a promise or a truth from God uh, that you really need, that you would be able to appreciate just what a wonderful gift it is, what God has done, the way he loves you, and um, uh, the way that he takes particular delight in you as well. And so as the band plays this next song, I want to invite anyone who just feels what I'm talking about today, this sadness, I want to invite you to come and, and, and to take a gift and to see what it is that God wants to say to you through it. Also, if you are somebody, as I said earlier, I was trying to distinguish a bit from clinical depression and more just general kind of uh, sadness, but if you are somebody who just really needs prayer today, um, the, the prayer team is available and they're going to be back in the, uh, the first row, the mezzanine, um, on my right side, your left. And so I want to invite you to go back there and just seek out some prayer from one of your brothers and sisters. Maybe you've lost a loved one lately. Maybe you've got some mental health battles that you just really need God to intervene in. You know, maybe you're just sad with all of the horrible things going on in the world right now that we see on the news. If you would like prayer, we would love to provide that for you. We want to be a community that prays and lifts one another up all the time. And so don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel weird. Don't feel scared. Let's go back there. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, today we declare that um, in, in spite of all the havel, all the absurdities that we see in the world around us and in our own lives, God, that we know where this, where history is going to end, and that is in victory. It's in your victory. And God, we already see the signs of it through your resurrection and through the many ways, God, that you have brought your church to be your hands and feet in the world. And so God, help us, compel us, teach us and show us how to do that ourselves. God, for anybody here today who's grieving, for anybody here who's sad, for anyone who's carrying this baggage with them today, Lord, I ask that you would in some way meet them in it. Lord, that maybe even through it, they would experience and encounter something about you that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. We believe you can because you are a good God and a loving God. We pray all these things in your name.